Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Everybody, it is the Steve Jones Show. Happy Friday to you here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you, filling in for Sean Carey once again, who has the day off and an extended weekend. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewer, Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury. Of course, they are known for the barrels and the dills. That pickle bar, yes, indeed, is second to none. This week's specials: Coors Light and Original 30 Pack, $16.95. Spirit Off 24 Pack bottles, $25.99. Cape Line Variety 12-pack cans, $14.95. Sampling of the Cape Line is today, so make sure you go check them out before the end of the day today. Our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury. Today's show also brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf. Steve Jones coming up soon from the Sunbury Motors studio. Of course, plenty of ways to get involved with the show. You can call us, 1-800-795-9565. You can tweet us at Steve Jones PSU. We're at the Steve Jones Show on Facebook. Email us, Jones at WKOK.com. And, of course, you can download all of our latest podcasts from Apple, Google Play, or iTunes. Make sure you subscribe today. And, of course, they're available, too, at SteveJonesShow.com and by the brand-new Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. And for today, a big day for Penn State. Athletics. Today is the 23rd annual Coaches versus Cancer event, the golf tournament hosted by Disney Lion basketball coach Patrick Chambers. You have over 300 golfers, sponsors, regional sports luminaries, and much more that are out there today for a great cause. And, of course, speaking of Penn State basketball, Lamar Stevens is scheduled to join us today. He'll probably join us for around the 4.06 mark today. Of course, big news with him. He pulls out of the NBA draft. He'll be back with Penn State next season, so we will get a chance to talk to him. And we'll also hear at about 3.35 today, we'll hear from John and Joe Crispin. And that'll be at 3.35 today, so lots to talk about from the 23rd Annual Coaches versus Cancer of Penn State Golf Tournament. A lot of good stuff going on there today for a good cause, so we'll look forward to catching up with Steve about that. Also, big news for Penn State football which is obviously not so great news if those haven't seen it already. The Southern Columbia product right here in our backyard out of Catawissa, Julian Fleming, has chosen Ohio State, where he will go for his football future after next season with the Tigers. He made that announcement today via Twitter on a video. He had a top five. It was Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, and he chooses Ohio State, and that is a big, big loss for Penn State, of course, Julian Fleming. In our backyard, one of the top receivers in the country, top receiver in Pennsylvania. That's a tough one to swallow for the Nindy Lions as they will head to Columbus for next fall. 
And also we had the NBA Finals game one last night. A big win for the Toronto Raptors, 118-109. And if I'm a Warriors fan, I'm not concerned yet. And I'm if I'm with that Warriors organization, I'm not concerned yet. And I think that was made quite clear based on the reports that we saw post-game afterwards last night. Because we've seen this time and time again with this Warriors team. They like to toil sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And ten, I, you I, know what, I'd like ten, to win Sunday night and bounce back. 10 or 11 days off is not going to help you. Yeah, I, I think that I think that played a little bit of a factor too because especially when you're trying to find yeah. your rhythm and you're facing a good yeah. defense like Toronto, that can happen mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. Now, let's give Toronto credit. They also won on a night where Kawhi Leonard was not at his best. Yeah, Pascal Siakam, 32 points. He was big. He needed to be. That does say something, that when you are um, uh, not at your best, and yet you still can do that. Huge. He's been like that the whole playoffs for the Raptors. Yeah. And last night, he was not at his best, and they still won. Well, that's huge along the way. Uh, and the um, for the Warriors, first of all, let's start with this. I'm trying to think of which broadcaster said the Warriors would win in four and there's no way the Raptors would even win a game. I'm trying to think who that genius was. Who was that <laughs> genius? Who was that sports individual that so many people count on to hear the words of wisdom every day? That might have been me. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I have Warriors in five, so I'm kind of right behind you there. However... I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if they were to win out and win this, and still win this in five. I think that's not as realistic now, but I still could see it happening. Sure, a lot of things I could see happening. <laughs> you know, but it, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I got that one right. That's just me. At least you're not the only one. No, but I'm the only one willing to admit it. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, uh, that's always the you know, it, if you're going to do something like this, I always think it is so wrong of people when they do these shows to basically bypass all the stuff that they miss. Because first of all, it's sports, so we're out here having some fun, right? And you can have some fun, and there's serious issues that we talk about, very serious stuff that we talk about along the way. But when it comes to, like, how many games and so forth, you know darn well we have all this inside information all the time. Yeah, we have all this information. And we still get it wrong. <laughs> you know, I know basketball. I know what I'm watching. I've done, you know, I've done, a, you know, I've done a million games in my life. Uh <laughs> And you look at it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're, you know, they they don't match up. Toronto doesn't match up with Golden State. Ah, uh, Siakam was great. Marcus Gasol was great. Van Fleet has maxed out what he can do. And Toronto won. And for Toronto to win the series, I think it's imperative they win the second game too. Totally agree. If Golden State wins the next game. 
you know, now you now you're opening the door to the possibility of Durant being back. And if Durant comes back, he now becomes the swing player that Toronto does not have a matchup for. But how effective will he be will be the question. But if he if he's at least 75% of himself, then I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So that's and we'll see when Durant, if Durant even plays. I mean, they've been able to buy a lot of time. I do think it's interesting. With all the time that they have bought, he was not available for game one. I mean, they, they bought a lot of time with him out. You know, remember, he did, the last game he played was in the Houston series, which was game five. I mean, game six where they clinched, didn't play. Swept Portland, didn't play. 10, 11 days off, no need to play. Game one, finals, didn't play. I mean, he's missed a lot of time. Uh, so And they bought a lot of time for him. Now, I, I can understand to a point why they would try to hold him off and buy time to get to the NBA finals, especially when you go bl- look back at the Portland series. But let's face it, I don't think he's back in Golden State next year. So if you're Golden State, you're Steve Kerr. I, I don't see the point in holding him back. You might as well just try to get him back ASAP. Now, especially you're down a, a game. So I would be a little surprised if he's not back on Sunday because really who cares at this point how healthy he is because you don't know if he's going to be with you next year. Well, if he can't help you, you can't play him. He has to be able to help you. Right. No, uh, yeah. I, I, like I said, if, if, if he's 75% or better, I play him. No, I mean, I, I would... If if the training staff remember these decisions are not made by the coach, if the training staff says he can play, and Kevin Durant says he can play, you play him. If the training staff says he can play and Durant says he can't, then you can't play him. And if the training staff says he can't play, you just don't play him. It has to be both the training staff and Durant both saying, yeah, he can play. If these these decisions are not made by coaches. Not even remotely close. It always is doctors, trainers, and player. They make the decision. The coach, they go and inform the coach as to whether somebody's available or not. Then after that, it's up to you to determine how many minutes you want to use somebody. Uh, that's always one of the great, I don't understand why he's not playing. Ah, you know, he's just going to have to play him. He's hurt. Uh, the person that doesn't make the decision is the coach. It's like forever, you know. It's like, uh, when you're around what I, what I do for a living all the time, you realize that. I mean, the number of times that Penn State would have a player and the player is going through something, trying to get back, and Joe always had to go to the. He said, "Doc, do I, is he available or not? Now can't go. Well, now guess what? Joe can't can't practice him, can't do anything with him because, you know." The doctor is in charge of the medical part. Yeah, the trainer is in charge of the rehab part. So they have to rely on what they say. If they say can't go, can't go. And also the player can pull themselves out. I can't go. Now there are two types of players that become frustrating for coaches and trainers to deal with. And these happen to be the, the extremes. The player that drives them nuts, Matt, is the one that has to be perfect 
Oh, definitely. Right? They have to be perfect. And they feel that twinge, a tweak, whatever. And it's like, ah, it just doesn't quite feel right. Well, you can't play them at that point. They, they, they're not going to play. And they drive you nuts. Now let's go to the other side. Here's the other extreme. Okay? The one that tells you no matter what they can play. And the trainer knows they're not just hurt, they're injured. Now I can go. So now it becomes a fight between the trainer and the player, and the coach is caught in the middle. I can play. No, I really can't. I can play. I can play. Or they won't tell you what... Or they won't tell you the extent to how they feel. Well, what's your pain level? One. Okay. They could they check you and the whole deal, and they say, "No, I'm fine. I'm I'm going back in." Right. That also drives you nuts. Well, they're not going to be honest and direct about what their injury happens to be. Then the, then the other one is, oh, I don't know. I feel a twinge. You know, those are the guys that end up in digital media. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Brewers Outlet. Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstores, ready for all of your warm weather activities. Camping, picnics, grilling, visit Brewers Outlet first. For microbrews, imports, domestic specialties, they got them. Grab some pickles at the Pickle Bar, Steve Jones's favorite place. Snacks, Brewers Outlet has that covered. Soda, sports drinks, check. Weekly specials, too. And there's lots of convenient parking. So get all the refreshments everyone will love for your next outdoor gathering at Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstore, Reagan Street, Sunbury. All right, great to have you with us. Brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, and somebody in the beverage supermarket. Stock up for the weekend. Coors Light and original 30 packs, $16.95. Smirnoff 24 pack bottles, $25.99. Cape Line variety, 12 pack cans, $14.95. Sampling of the Cape Line, by the way, is today. Imports Domestics Microbrews. Best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. And, of course, we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Saw Tom Mertz last night. Here for Coaches versus Cancer. We'll hear from Lamar Stevens later in the show, and we'll hear from John and Joe Crispin in the next half hour. I played uh, with my group this morning from 1A Construction. Four awesome guys. We had nothing, we had five hours of laughs. I'm talking laughed our way through the whole round. Had a blast. You know, the the odd thing about this is is that I played a lot of golf this year because I look, I love doing it. It is um it's great exercise for me. It's something you know, I was talking to Blake Gilligan about this the other day because Blake was out there with uh Chris Stahl and Joe Calcagno. And he says, Yeah, I say here you're out here a lot. I said, Yeah, I am. I said, because look, it's the kind of game I said that someone like me can play and get exercise, walk, 
swing and so forth, I said that that can carry me for a long way. And you know, in terms of what I, you know, you're trying to keep yourself as healthy as possible. And he said, "Yeah, no, I can see that." The odd thing is, I played a lot this year, and I played really well this year. You know, the last two rounds I played, I shot eighty and eighty-two. Okay, I can tell you right now, in no uncertain terms, the two worst rounds I have played all year. And it turns out it's the two rounds I played in the charity scrambles. I mean, I played no better than okay today. I mean, I had did I hit some good shots? Yeah. Was I happy with how I personally played? No. My team played great. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like I didn't make some shots. I mean, I you know, I, I knocked one in on a par three. You know, I, I was able to knock one in about 10 feet from the hole, and we birdied the hole. I was able to, you know, we were kind of scrambling a bit on a hole. I was able to uh, knock a wedge in. On a, on a hole, you know, it, you know. So I was able to do that. The last hole, I sank an eagle putt. Fine. So I com- I contributed, but they're the two worst rounds I played all year. I mean, Matt, I didn't play well at all. In my opinion, in my opinion, I did not play well in the um, Purdy Classic. I played okay. Right, I played okay today. Yeah, this score is- totally topped. Uh, the team oh, score we're talking about score. totally topped what you guys did at the Purdy Tour. And what'd you say, 21 under? Shot 21 under. Yeah. But you know what, though, under? Steve? If you hit an eagle and that's part of your worst rounds you've ever played, that's not bad. You're playing pretty good golf. Oh, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like we took 21 under par today. And, but even if we didn't, we still would have had a good time. We were laughing our backsides off. That's what it's all about. The whole time we'd laugh, laugh, laugh. Everything was funny. Hey, Nick, you know, you know, nicknames for everybody. Everybody's like, you know. Uh, there was one. There was one where I, I hit an infield fly roll drive. I just popped the thing up. I'm like, I don't know, you know. And I, I hadn't done that all day. I, I looked at everybody. I said, Look, if any of you go out there and pick it up, I will be offended. I'm doing this by myself. <laughs> you know, I mean, things, I mean, things like that where you're just having fun and having a good time, and that's what we did today. And it turned out that in the middle of this, we kind of looked around at each other and said, I mean, we didn't know we shot what we shot. We knew we were playing well as a team. But this, we had a guy that could drive the ball to King. We had, we had three guys that could drive the ball to Kingdom Come. Three. And we had one, Brett. Now, Brett pounded the daylights out of the ball. Okay? And every time the running joke was, Great, great shot, Brett. Go pick it up. Because the other two guys behind him could hit it further. Well, there you go. That's half the battle. And that's... But even if we didn't, we all would have had a great time today anyway. Because it was just... They're great people. Great people. All right. The Crispin Brothers here at the tournament today... We'll talk with them. Yes, they're together, and we'll talk to them in a few moments on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by our great friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the Beverly Supermarket. 
Imports Domestics Microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, including specials now through next week. Coors Light and original 30 packs, $16.95. Smeared off 24-pack bottles, $25.99. Cape Line variety, 12-pack cans, $14.95. By the way, you can sample Cape Line today. Wine coolers, water, soft drink snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. All the brewers outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Really nice series of work from Sports Illustrated previewing the Women's World Cup in France with the idea I think the cover is exactly right United States Women's National Team the plan for France dominate today, inspire tomorrow and on the cover Megan Rapinoe and three of her teammates are with Four youngsters, four young women, with the idea that they can inspire them to be the next generation of soccer players in this country. This includes, by the way, two Penn Staters. Alyssa Nair will take over in goal for Hope Solo. Uh, Alyssa played here at Penn State, 31 now. And Allie Krieger, who's already been on several World Cup teams for the United States, Actually, not been on the U.S. roster the last couple of years, but in April they called her back up. So there are two Penn Staters on that U.S. national team, and they can do, once again, so much for the future of girls' soccer and women's soccer in this country by what they do and how they perform. You know, it certainly brings with it a pressure, but you know what? They are fabulous players. They play great team soccer. And they can inspire the next generation. That's really important to do. And they have the capability of it. Mega Rapino's fabulous. Morgan is fabulous. They got some players. But that's a, a really well thought out cover and a and Something that is also an important part of the story. There are two parts to it. Number one, for the United States women's national team, is to go out game by game win. They already play an exciting brand of soccer anyway. And number two, can they then in turn, by that style and by winning, inspire the next generation to take the game up and really take it to the next level? It's a big responsibility. Nothing going on tonight. Uh, Toronto and Golden State will play Sunday night. Toronto won last night. Some uh, genius on this show said Toronto would not win a game. I wonder who that genius might be. And St. Louis and the Bruins will play in St. Louis tomorrow night. It is the last game tomorrow night on NBC Sports Night. Everything goes over to NBC for games three through whatever. All right. Back in uh, 2000, it was November 2000, 
I did my one and only game at Rupp Arena in Lexington. Penn State was playing Kentucky. It was the 25th anniversary of Kentucky using Rupp Arena. 25th anniversary. And John and Joe Crispin combined for 57 points that night. Joe had 31. John had 26. And with that, the Crispins join us. Hi, guys. Great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having us. And, and yes, it, it is true. This is John, by the way. I was 9 for 12. I was efficient. Joe was just chucking. Somebody's got to attract the attention for those lesser ball players to get open looks. <laughs> <laughs> because John's not going to get open unless they're concentrating on you. Yeah, he set me up for that one. I couldn't help it. <laughs> uh, I want to. I want to start with this, uh, John. I want to ask you a couple quick Big Ten questions. Penn State ends up getting both Mike Watkins and Lamar Stevens back. What does that do for the dynamic of Penn State within the Big Ten? Well, first and foremost, it allows them to capitalize on what they figured out late in the season, and that was you got to play through Lamar. Um, and playing through Lamar doesn't mean he's got the ball in his hands all the time, but you, but you put him in ball screen situations because the defense flows his way. You create opportunities for, for lesser experienced, lesser skilled players and allows those guys to develop throughout the course of the season. So when Lamar was involved in every offensive possession, they were successful. So I think it allows you to pick up right where they left off, which was very competitive. Uh, there wasn't a coach in the Big Ten, not a team in the Big Ten, that wanted to play Penn State, regardless of the fact that they started 0-10 in conference play. So I think it's a, a big shot in the arm. Um, it, it would have been a much different look with, without Lamar. Um, getting Mike Watkins back is, is key. But, but really, for, for Mike Watkins, the biggest key is going to be starting the season. He didn't have that last year. You know, he started the season with a suspension, and it just took him a long time to, to kind of come into his own. So having those guys back, it gives you a front court that is formidable, and I'm not sure if there's a, there's a better front court in the Big Ten. I really got to say that. How important is it for a program like Penn State? And, Joe, you can address this as well, because when Penn State went to the Sweet 16, Penn State was the older team. Hey, you were a senior. Titus was a senior. Jazzy was a senior. How important is it for each of you that Penn State, and this, this is a season where they should be the older team out there, how important is that for a program like Penn State? Well, I, I think it's, a pro, it's shown to be important for every program, um, with rare exceptions. I mean, the rare exceptions of the Kentucky gets it right one year, Duke gets it right one year, but... Uh, even shoot the D3 programs are the same thing down in my world right now. Age wins. Um, guys who have been there win. They're a little bit hungrier to finish well. They're a little bit hungrier uh, to prove they can do something that maybe they didn't do before. Um, and frankly, they've just been there before. And, and you can't replace being there. You can't replace having a group of guys on the floor who just it's, the, it's normal to them. Um, so I think for Penn State, it's vital. It's always been vital. But I think the NCAA tournament is showing that it's it's important for everybody. Well, also, you think about we live in a day and age where scouting is at an all-time high, and it was like that when we were in college. I remember Joe calling out a play, and half the time it was a different play than what Jerry might have been calling. Uh, <laughs> no, don't I, don't, I, don't, I don't recall that ever happening. <laughs> never happened. No, never happened. no, no never happened. <laughs> But I, I remember I'm being covered by Morris Peterson my freshman year. We're at Michigan State, 
and Joe called zipper one, two, three, four, whatever it was, and they, they only heard zipper. So Mateen Cleaves turns around and just yells, zipper, zipper. And Mo Pete turns to me and goes, yo, zipper, what number? <laughs> they knew exactly what we were doing. Right. And that's the case throughout college basketball. So, And what that tells me is you don't win with set plays. You win with counters. You know, you win with adjustments. And freshmen and sophomores don't know how to make adjustments. They just don't. They don't see it instinctually. They don't have that experience. So the experience that we had playing together allowed us to make adjustments on the fly. And those adjustments are things that teams can't be prepared for. They're instinctual by nature. And I think that's what you see with experienced teams. That's why experienced teams have success in the NCAA tournament. Teams do a great job scouting, but it's the adjustments and the counters that allow you to win. So I think that's going to help Penn State for sure. And it certainly helped us. Even though I was a sophomore, I came in with Joe. I spent time with the team. In many ways, I was a senior my sophomore year. I just had the uh, mental capacity of a sophomore in high school. <laughs> I didn't want to get into that part. Uh, but, but also what is really great to me about sports, and it really falls into place for basketball, as much as we can talk about set plays and so forth, a lot of this is ad lib. Joe, you're probably one of the better – you know, I can't think of better ad lib players in basketball than you. How important is still that element of the game of ad lib? Uh, it, it is the game of basketball. I think it's the heart and soul of the game of basketball. I mean, now that I'm coaching, um, I tell our players, like, we love the unpredictable. We love the spontaneous. Um, and we, like, my coaching philosophy is we just, we just create that spontaneous and unpredictable on purpose. Because uh, we really want to be good at it, um, and it you become unstoppable when you got guys who really they don't care what you're doing. Yeah, you double team. I, I know what I'm doing. You, you hedge. I know what I'm doing. You go under. I know what I'm doing. Um, and you know that comes with experience, ha- having those counters and knowing just how to play. Um, it just comes with confidence. It comes with a fearlessness. It comes with a little bit of a recklessness, a willingness to make mistakes and. Typically, uh, older players are more willing to go there. Um, and most importantly, probably, is the best players are willing to go there. And, you know, sometimes basketball is as simple as having the best player on the court. And, mm-hmm. you know, a kid like Lamar showed he can be the best player on the court on any given night against anyone. And, you know, I've come to believe that if, if I got the best player on the court, I, I got a great chance to win every night. Well, you think about the Final Four, too, right? You've got two teams in Virginia and Michigan State who are scripted to, to in pretty much every sense of the way. Right, the, the exactly. The transition game might be a little bit different, but they're scripted. Yep. Yeah, you look at the other side, right? Texas Tech, Auburn, teams that found their identity almost by accident. They, they, they evolved into who they were, and who they were was ad-lib. That's how they played. Uh, there was no script. And every game you may have an idea of how you want to play, but what made them so good, what made them so difficult to defend and stop and even attack offensively was the fact that they're just kind of free-flowing and free-wielding. And they had, they had no fear whatsoever, and that makes them dangerous. See, and I think what you're seeing is the talent is at an all-time high, so coaches can't restrict that talent by giving them too much structure. It's more about creating options and less about creating sets. And I think that's what kind of started to mimic that NBA game. Well, see, that's when I look at Virginia. Virginia, his system made them relevant. His system got them to a point. 
It's when, to me, when he looked at him and said, look, we need offense. Go out and play some offense now to go what we do defensively. It's when he started emphasizing offense and more free flow out there, that's when he then took the big step. Well, absolutely. I mean, but the we other saw, thing is, I mean, I, we saw Tony at the um, Naismith brunch last year, and it's exactly what he said. Before, you know, last year, meaning when they when they lost, and you could tell he made the adjustment, and you could just see, even though they didn't necessarily score a ton of points in the NCAA tournament, it's not just about the the, the scoring factor; it's about the kids being empowered to yes. make plays and take some risks. You know, you see that in the professional game naturally because the guys are pros, but. Uh, you can tell when kids are they're taking shots because they want to, uh, not because they, you know, think they should or now they're allowed to. There's a big difference. Well, I would say, uh, are you taking shots just because there's five seconds left on the shot clock, or are you taking shots because you're open? And I think what changed with Virginia is they took the first shot that they got when they were open, and that was a that was not the case when they lost to UMBC. They're down 10, 15 points, right. and they're not pushing it in transition. They're not taking those opportunities. And the identity that is rooted in defense is great, no doubt. I, I can appreciate it, but it also makes you play offense with caution. And, and that precautionary offensive approach is not aggressive, it's not assertive, it's not confident. And I think that really held them back in many senses of the way. So to see them evolve, uh, it, it made me happy to see them win because it showed that, yes, you can be a good defensive team, but you've got to be able to be the aggressor. You have to set the tone on both sides of the ball. And in many ways, what they did offensively actually helped them on the defensive end this year. Obviously, it's not just Stevens and Watkins coming back and Penn State becoming an older team. You also, in terms of closing the gap, sometimes teams have to fall back to you. When you see Roby staying in the draft from Nebraska, Coffey staying in the draft from Minnesota, Brasdakis, Poole, and Matthews, Lankford, obviously we all knew Carson Edwards was going to go, uh, Bruno Fernando. What does that do to the dynamic, and did some of those teams, did Penn State come up on some, and Eugene O'Marori transferring, did Penn State now just come up on some teams, and did some teams then fall back to them in turn? Well, it's, it's hard to say because the whole dynamic of the team changes when you lose some of those guys. I mean, what, with what Fred Hoiberg's doing next year, they could be pretty good. Uh, he, he's brought in a ton of transfers, and he knows how to get them to play together. Yeah, it's So true. it's hard to say what they'll be. Yes, you're going to lose a great player in, a, in, in Roby, but at the same time, you add pieces that you otherwise didn't even see in existence last year. So it's really impossible. And we say it every year, like, oh, so-and-so is going to be good. So-and-so is going to be good. Pretty much the only team that we can say is going to be good every year is Michigan State because they're they're in so many ways the same team every year. The way they play, their approach, their identity, the physicality, it's always there because Tommy Izzo recruits to that system. So outside of that, it's really hard to say who's going to be that team, who's going to take a step forward. Look, I think – I think Iowa is going to have a terrific season. This yes. year. I think they're going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Illinois is going to take a huge step forward. So there, there's a lot of teams out there that could be really good, but the chemistry is everything. And while you could see a team like Nebraska maybe struggle with chemistry, you also got a lot of guys who, who have that sense of urgency to make something happen late in their career. So it's impossible to say at this point, yes, Penn State perceivably should have – a good look next year. Right. Like what you've got coming back, you, you've got the core coming back. That's great. But 
you just don't know what the image of the Big sure. Ten looks like until you start playing against one another. Joe, I know you have your camp coming up, uh, and uh, I know you're looking forward to that. Well, I look forward to any excuse to get back to state college, <laughs> um, which is which is always great with CVC. Um, you know, I've done a lot of just thinking and, um, you know, a lot of work, not just at the college level with athletes, but sometimes just looking at the weaknesses of our players um, at the college level and high school level of what we recruit and trying to do some things differently on the youth level. Um, I've come to enjoy it. I never really aim to get into that world, but uh, just kind of, I guess when you have kids, it's inevitable. Yeah. But it's something I've come to enjoy quite a bit. And what is the, finally this, uh, what does it mean to come back for a cause like Coaches versus Cancer for each of you? Well, I mean, we look forward to it every year. I mean, one, it's a community event. Um, you know, seeing a lot of familiar faces, um, haven't been a part of it for, you know, I guess almost since its inception when I first came up here after my freshman year um, in 98. Um with Coach Dunn, you, you see a lot of the familiar faces. You've seen impact over the, the course of a couple decades of people you're interacting with, people who've been helped um, and served well, and, and naturally you've been part of the building process because uh, Pat's done a great job continuing the tradition and making it better, and the, the committee always does a great job. Um, so it's, it's something we feel proud about that I, I always look forward to. Well, it's, it's interesting for me because you know, I'm a guy that transferred from Penn State. I transferred from Penn State. I didn't appreciate what made Penn State the mindset of what I You know, I was a young kid trying to get more in basketball. And it's not until you mature a little bit that you realize how special that community is and what the community really is is family. And when you think about the growth and the development of CVC at Penn State, it really reminds you that it is family. It's not just community. Uh, because family's there for the journey, not just the outcome. And I think that's what really stands out to me, is that this is a Penn State community and family that is there to support people in this journey, not just, not just be a part of the outcome, because that's something that we may not see in our lifetime. But, but being a part of the journey with people that are struggling, people that are dealing with cancer on, on a daily basis, we, we've all been impacted by cancer in some way, shape, or form, but, but the Penn State family is what makes this so special, and it's what's allowed CBC to grow to what it's become. It's like Thon, right? You, you look right. at Thon. You know, you got people that are just happy to be a part of the journey. We haven't solved anything yet. We, we've helped, but we haven't solved anything, but, but there's great pride and commitment in that, and I think that's what makes this Penn State family so special. And really, considering the fact that I transferred, I'm honored to be considered a part of it. Well, they combined for six years here. Joe, you're here for. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that sounds better. Well, if Joe was any good, he would have been able to leave after his junior year anyway. <laughs> John, John, John said he would have stayed if the senior point guard gave him more buckets. But that's, uh, John, John said he was. John said they would have stayed and had a better play-by-play guy that made him sound better. True, true. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. You Go. gave him plenty. We all we always gave you plenty of plenty of material. <laughs> you guys are the best. I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight and tomorrow. Thanks so much for the time, and hopefully, you made a little bit of the drive go by quicker. John and Joe Crispin.
Lamar Stevens joins us next half hour as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Brewers Outlet. Great to have you with us. You know, Matty Ice is going to be working that Bucknell football opener with Temple uh, on the sideline. This is what I think. I think Doug should call the play. They should go down to the sideline as often as possible after the plays. I think it would just cut, you know, really do be great because it would cut out the middleman. <laughs> I'll just do whatever they tell me. I'm telling you right, I've been broadcasting for almost really now for 40 years. Like, you don't think I have a good plan? I don't doubt that. Hey, man, my plan brings with it football knowledge, excitement, some entertainment. It kind of cut, cuts out the mumbo-jumbo nonsense. What do you think? I'm cool with that. But will all three of you be cool with that? <laughs> <laughs>